this is a principle about life. You probably have learned it even if you may not consciously think about it. It's not that joy equals pain, but that those two are related. And what I mean is if something has an ability to give us great joy, unfortunately that means it also has a power to create great pain. And the two sort of go together. The greater the potential for joy, unfortunately, if that's broken, if it doesn't work, it also has the potential to give us great pain. If it's just a little bitty thing and it can give us a little joy but not a ton, it probably isn't going to hurt that bad either if it's broken. Well, there's probably nowhere that that is more true than the whole area of families. It's a huge example of this principle. Families have a potential to give us incredible joy. Families getting together, spending fun time, you just sort of capture those snapshots of whether it's Christmas morning or just sort of some spontaneous thing and you look around and saying, this is great. It's a family the way it's supposed to be. And yet it's also true, isn't it, that there is perhaps no greater pain than the brokenness that can happen inside a family. And if that family is broken, if there's something happening in one person in that family, it just affects everyone. And it brings huge pain to us as we struggle with that brokenness and what's going on there. That's that principle. Unfortunately, the pain is not just for the families. It's for everyone around the families. Because the family is really the building block of our culture, isn't it? Our society is built around the structure of families. And when those building blocks are broken, it affects everybody. There's a passage over in Malachi that's in a sense a promise as well as a warning. God says he, and he's speaking of actually Elijah who's going to come, the prophet who's going to come. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. There's a promise there's going to be an effort by God to restore families, to turn parents to children and children to parents. That's the promise. But the warning is that if that doesn't happen, then the land will be visited by destruction. I think there's some degree to which we are seeing the impact on our whole culture by the brokenness among families. Not just in the homes themselves, but beyond the homes, in the neighborhoods, in the schools, on the streets we walk on. As families are increasingly broken, that pain spreads beyond the homes, and we all experience it. And unfortunately, and this is as political as you'll ever hear me get, unfortunately, I question our assumptions that somehow the police will fix this or the schools will fix this. Because until the homes are fixed, no amount of outside structures are going to fix the problem. The land will be visited by destruction. The issue is our families. 
So how do we make our families work? Well, that's what Paul's going to talk about as we come to this part of Ephesians. In a sense, Paul says it takes everyone. One of the phrases that my wife and I used raising our kids, which they absolutely hated, and most parents in this room have probably used it. You're either a part of the solution or you're a part of the problem. And when you're a kid, you do not want to hear that. Unfortunately, adults, we probably don't want to hear it either, do we? But what I want us to see in this, that everybody who is a part of the family is a part of the solution or a part of the problem. I think sometimes when we talk about families, we want to just talk about the parents, or we want to just talk about the kids, or just the dads, or just the moms. But the truth is, we are all part of the family, and we all have choices to make that affect whether we are part of the solution to make a healthy family, or we are part of the problem the family is wrestling with. And Paul sees that because in Ephesians, we're going to see today, Paul speaks to both the children and the parents. A number of weeks ago, I used that quote by Eisenhower on the day of D-Day. As he was getting ready to launch the greatest invasion history's ever seen. And remember that quote? He said, gentlemen, it's one team or we all lose. It struck me that that applies to the family, too. We're either all working together, it's one team, or it will affect all of us, and we will all be losers. So I want us to look today, as we continue to work through these practical tips that Paul gives in Ephesians, how we as Christians can experience new life better than what we experienced without God. Last week we looked at marriage. Once marriage is fixed, as Paul helped us do, now we move on to the family around the marriage. So over in Ephesians 6, if you want to turn over there, and then we're going to go back and read a little bit more. But first I want to read the first three verses, because he speaks to the kids. Kids, this is for you. But we're going to talk to parents too, so don't anybody who's a kid here feel picked on. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Paul is referencing, of course, the Ten Commandments. And one of those commandments is, kids, honor your parents. And there's consequences if you don't. Listen and learn is what I think Paul is trying to drive home, the point of that commandment. Pay attention to your parents. Learn what they're trying to teach you. Treat them with respect. We're going to talk about what that means. But I think the easiest question I would ask the kids here today is, what makes you feel like your parents are respecting you? And I understand, especially if you're in middle school or high school, you feel like most of your life your, kids, your parents are not respecting you. But why? What is it your parents are not doing that makes you feel not respected? Can you flip that coin? Are you treating your parents that way? How are you showing them respect that you want them to respect you? 
Now, one of the things we have to deal with is this isn't only true if you have perfect parents. I'll say right up front, the preacher said it. You don't have perfect parents. Your parents are not perfect. You're sitting there saying, well, it's about time, somebody. (laughs) But the problem is, you see, that doesn't mean you have a pass on this commandment. That doesn't mean you have a pass on this advice from Paul. He's saying, respect your parents, and they're not going to be perfect, because there are no perfect parents. But part of the lessons that that teaches us in life as we wrestle with how do I respect these parents who aren't perfect, is that get used to it. Welcome to life. Because you know what? You're not going to have a perfect boss either. And you're not going to have perfect teachers at school. And you're not going to have perfect professors and perfect managers. And you're not going to have a perfect spouse. And you're not going to have perfect friends around you on the ball team. Get used to it. Life is not perfect, and people are not perfect. And part of the challenge as we wrestle as young people, how do we respect these parents who don't always do it right? That's exactly a lesson we need for all of life. And so I don't think Paul is thinking for a moment that all the parents are perfect, therefore respect them. I think what Paul is saying is your parents are not perfect, they're flawed, therefore learn how to respect imperfect people. Because how you learn to deal with imperfect people, and how you learn how to perhaps show respect for imperfect people, is a life lesson that affects you. It's not about how it affects the parents. It's about how it will affect you, whether you can learn to look for the good, to listen for what you need to hear from those people, to look beyond their imperfections and those things which frustrate you. Because there are good things to learn from them, things you need to hear, yes, from imperfect people, and from learning to struggle with difficult people. Those are such important lessons that can carry you through life. And the truth is, even those imperfect parents that you have, 99% of them want to be good parents. I've sat with parents who are doing some really stupid things But when you sit and talk with them and you sort of peel back the layers, at their core, they're trying to do what is best for their kids. They're trying. They desperately want to be a good dad or a good mom. I have never had anybody say to me, I want to be a bad dad. My goal in life is to be a bad dad. I've never had anybody say that. I've had some dads in tears saying, I don't think I'm being a good dad and I want to be. And I don't have a clue how. I've had that conversation. Now, I I need to give a disclaimer here. I am not naive and I understand there are some broken people who are parents who are abusive. And this is not about that. 
and please don't blanketly apply to me my opinion again I'm getting whatever obviously there are some common sense boundaries around this scripture does not condone or support abuse under some kind of authority but that is such a small slice of this issue and I want to talk about the norm if I can and obviously if those situations are in your life that's a whole different scenario and you need to sit down with some spiritual people who can advise you on how to deal with that and, and how to move beyond that. But there is a challenge for us as children. Because old people have some things to teach us. And as we are young, we don't always see that or understand that. And that's part of what Paul wants us to not miss. So that we will look beyond their age. They're going to make uh, mistakes. They're not going to wear the right clothes. They're going to do things that bring the eye roll. I, I, could just, I could list for you pages of the things my kids have said, Dad. I like to wear tall white socks with shorts. Now, I don't. I don't. Because my kids are like, Dad, please. But I think the challenge of this passage is to get us to look beyond the things that cause us to write off people. Are you kidding? They don't get technology? Permission to write them off. They don't know how to turn on a smartphone. Are you kidding? Permission to write them off. And it goes on and on. But if we allow ourselves that permission to write them off, we will miss the truth and wisdom they have learned from life. Because the truth is one of the greatest teachers in life is experience. And that's the one thing parents have that as kids we don't. Experience. And oftentimes, parents are speaking out of, truthfully, their mistakes. I, I look at parents who've made some of the strictest rules, and again, if you peel the onion back, usually the strictest rules are because they screwed up in that very area. And they blew it in a big way, and that was so painful, they're so embarrassed by that, they don't want you, their child, to make that same mistake and have the pain and guilt they now have, so they're going to build a high barbed wire wall around it so you don't do what they did. And you may just see them as rigid, and they're trying to help you. But you see, they've learned lessons from life. And kids, they want you to be safe from those mistakes and learn those lessons without going through all that pain. And so you're not walking around with the scars oftentimes they're walking around with. So don't let some of those quirks and habits and goofiness that you sort of make fun of your folks behind their back, don't let that cause you to miss the wisdom they have to teach you. Well, kids, okay, now let's talk to the parents, huh? And the kids are sitting there saying, about time. Can we just go on? 
<clears throat> verse 4, and it starts with fathers, but I'm going to be radical right now and say I really believe this passage talks to moms too. And I think there is a great challenge for fathers today, and we need fathers to step up to the plate. But we all know that it takes mom as well as dad. And I want to apply this passage to both because I believe it speaks to both today. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I want to talk a little bit about the word that Paul uses there because it really helps us understand his passage. The word exasperate in the Greek is really the concept of creating a no-win situation. I'm going to make the rules such that you can't win this game. You can't get an A. You can't get a 10. You can't get a perfect score. And I'm going to structure it that way. And I'm going to run the house that way and run home that way. So you never are good enough. Now we've all seen that. And some of you have lived that. You know that can happen. And that's the first thing that Paul says. Don't create at home a no-win situation for your kids. Because what happens is they give up. They quit trying because they know they can't win. And we call it acting out today. But at its core, it's kids saying, I give up. I'm not even going to try anymore. And Paul says that's not a kid issue. That's a parent issue. And, that he, and he challenges us as parents to be realistic in what we ask so that we are not putting our kids in situations where they're never good enough. Now, how do we do that? Well, I've got three things in the notes I want us to look at. Two E's and a third one. The first is example. The good thing is, as we as parents have an example to follow. Now, it may not be our human parents. And I understand that you may not have been raised by the best parents. And in fact, you may be saying, I want to do pretty much everything opposite of what my parents did. The, the good news is, every one of us has a perfect parent we can follow. And that's God. As Heavenly Father. And he does know how to do it. He was the perfect parent. He is the perfect parent. And there's a lot to learn from God if we'll look at him as a, as a model father. How do I be a dad? How do I be a mom? Can I look at God? Well, how does God parent? The first word that probably comes to all of our minds is love. God parents out of love. That is the motive that starts his day, and that is the motive that ends his day. It is the motive that guides every interaction he has between him and his children. It's love. He's always coming out of love. Not anger, not you embarrassed me, not what will people think, not what do other people do or what's expected or anything else. He's always coming out of love. What is best for the kids I of mine? And it's that love that pushes God to be patient, to be forgiving, to be understanding, to pursue us even when we run away from him and say, I don't want you, you're not my dad. God says, well, yeah, I am. You don't get a vote. 
and I'll come after you. I don't mean after you dragging you back. I mean after you saying, I'm going to keep loving you. And if you're that one sheep that runs out on the mountain, I will come after you to save you and help you and carry you home because I love you. It's that motive of love that causes God to give us grace. Not treating us as we deserve, but treating us as love directs him. That should be our first challenge. In every situation, what's driving me here? What's motivating me here? Is it anger? Is it resentment? Is it frustration? Or is it love? What am I communicating here? Is it love? Even if it's tough love, is it love? Or is it something else? So we have this example. The second E is exasperate. That word that Paul uses there. What are we doing so we don't exasperate our kids? Are we placing unrealistic expectations on them? Are we letting them be less than perfect and that it's okay? Are our rules fair? I mean fair. Would a neutral third party say, okay, that's an appropriate rule? Or would they say, are you kidding? Really? Your kids can't do that? Are there double standards? You want to exasperate your kids? Well, you can't do that, but then they watch mom and I do it. You always tell the truth, but they heard me on the phone lie to my boss. That frustrates, that exasperates a double standard. Do you understand their viewpoint? I think that's a big challenge for us as parents, and I think that exasperates our kids where we don't take the time to truly understand where they're coming from. That doesn't mean we're going to agree, but we're going to understand, really understand. Forget about parenting for a second. You're dealing with another adult at work. Maybe it's your boss, your manager. But you know that if that manager will really quit talking and listen, to hear your perspective and where you're coming from and your frustration or your idea or whatever, even if they end up saying, you know, I get that. And I see that, but for here, here's, I, I just can't do that right now. Don't you still walk away feeling better about it? Because you feel understood. I think that's one of our challenges as parents is, do we make our kids feel understood? If not, we're just exasperating them. Do we make that effort to try and see life through their eyes? And sometimes we have to work at that. But do we make that effort so they feel understood? I think that'd be an interesting question to ask your kids. Do you feel that I understand you? Now, you better sit down and put your seatbelt on if they give you an honest answer, but you need to hear that answer. And if the answer is no, why not? And what can you do different? 
And the last thing, and this comes up in parenting all the time, but it's true. One of the ways you can exasperate your children is you spend your life trying to help them fulfill your dreams. Trying to make them into the person you wanted to be and you didn't make it. Whether that's a certain sport that you want them to play or you want them to be an artist and they're an athlete or whatever it may be and they're different from you, do you allow them to be different from you? Do you encourage that differentness to flourish or do you try to fit them into your cookie cutter? The third thing under, under this is give them. There's things you need to give them as parents. Give them a safe home that is a safe haven. We joke all the time that a, a home is a man's castle. And we need that. Well, guess what? Your kids need that too. They need a place to come home that is safe and has less stress. Probably a lot of us need to have Andy come up and talk about what it's like to be in school today. Or have one of our grade school teachers talk about what life in school is like today. Because I can assure you, most of us who are 30 and older have no clue what our kids are facing today. They are living and going to school in a highly stress-filled environment. And the last thing they need is to come home and have more stress. Home needs to be a retreat for our kids. Where they come home and have no doubt they will be loved and they will be valued and appreciated. And they need that. And they need it more than they've needed it for decades. And we need to make sure we're giving that to our kids. Instead of always being on their case. Because they're not perfect. And they didn't do it all right. Guess what? Neither did you. And we still need a place to come home. When we've failed the worst, we want to come home the most to be loved and accepted and forgiven and we're still okay. And our kids need to hear that from mom and dad. Not, you screwed up again. We need to give them that. Home needs to be their safe haven too. We also need to give them the truth to live by. And that's where Paul ends that verse 4. Make sure we are giving them true north, which is the truth that comes out of God's word. God's concepts of what really matters in life because life is crazy today. And in a three-year period, our kids will be told things are true that are opposite from what they heard three years ago. Because nobody knows truth anymore, and so it's changing every year. And it's just this gray, swirling fog of truth, and they desperately need truth that is true and that never changes, and they can build their lives on, and they can hold on to, and that's exactly what God gives us in Scripture. Life principles that will never be wrong. And that we can give our kids values that will always be good values. And how to treat people that will always be the right way to treat people. 
We need to be showing that to our kids, teaching our kids, modeling that to our kids. We need to be showing them Jesus' wisdom and how you care for others. And how serving others can actually be how to make life work. And that real greatness is found in washing feet. And whatever that might look like today. Because that's how Jesus did it. That's how God did it when he came to earth. And he calls us and says, it'll work for you too. Come follow me. Be like me. And we need to be teaching them that. And modeling that for them. So then they do have a foundation under them that can handle the craziness of life. And we really have prepared them to be successful adults. What's Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? You can either build your life on sand, and the first storm is your toast. Or you can build your life on the solid rock of my teaching, and then whatever life brings in storms, you are going to be solid. And Paul says that's what we need to do for our kids. We need to be passing on to them the solid rock of Jesus' teachings about life and how to live life. Because then, when the storms come, and they will come, then they're going to be solid and they're going to handle it and they're going to go right on. I want to challenge all of us today of some takeaways and you really need to pick what it is for you. But has God said something on your heart as a child? If you're in that group, is there some changes you need to make and maybe your attitudes or what you're doing that you need to show your folks more respect. You need to look beyond some of those frustrating quirks and realize there's some wisdom you need to be getting from them. And of course, the kicker in all this is if you're 40, you may still be a child. If you're 50, you still may be a child. Is there some respect you need to be sharing with those parents too? That challenge goes to most of us, doesn't it? Unless our parents are gone. And then, of course, if you're a parent, is there something God has put on your heart as I've talked, as we've looked at that verse? Something you realize, I need to tighten this up. I can do better. What is it you can take away? Our families can be our greatest pain, but they can also be our greatest joy. If we will do what Paul asks us to do and make sure we're a part of the solution, not part of the problem. Let's pray. Father, this is tough stuff, but it's so important because it does affect us, all of us. And when families work, there is nothing better. So help us, Father. Put your finger on anything we're doing that's out of line where we're part of the problem and show us how we can each be a part of the solution. In your son's name.